This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, Show 26. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host Brandon Turner. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. That was that was a good way to introduce me. I'm going to do it from now on. Do you like it? Yeah. Hi, I'm Brandon Turner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's talent right there. What's up, Brandon? Hey, not much. Um, going to San Francisco today. San Francisco, really? Why are you going to San Francisco? Because I am going to the Inman Connect Conference, which ah. is a big real estate conference there. So nice, nice. Going to represent bigger pockets. Yeah, represent. So if there's anybody listening to this for some reason on uh, you know Thursday morning and want to come hang out, uh, tweet me. Do it, do it. Awesome. Yeah, Inman's cool. It's a great, great place to to meet some of the uh, the business leaders in the industry and and. Uh, uh, it's uh, it's exciting that you'll be there. You're gonna have a good time. Yeah, I hope so. I haven't done that yep. before, so this is actually my first official conference. Oh boy! Yeah, all grown's up. I know. I even bought a tie yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> and I told him not to, which is which is the funny it's, part. It's a trendy tie. I'm gonna we'll, look cool. We'll have me. to see. We'll have. To <laughs> I expect photos. Oh yeah, lots of photos. Nice, nice. Uh, well, yeah, and the reason I'm not going is is I actually uh, just had a, a brand new baby uh, this past uh, week. Well, your wife did. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, she did. So uh, yeah, we we're 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 a little tied up right well, now, but uh, well, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you, thank you very much, thank you very much. Well, enough about me and you and our wanderings yeah, and wonderful things. Nobody cares. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's talk about this podcast really quick because uh, I, I believe uh, last week or something like that uh, we officially kind of became the the top real estate podcast uh, on iTunes. Is that is that kind of a fair way of saying it? Yeah, I think so. We have we have the most ratings and reviews for any real estate podcast in the entire world on iTunes right now. So that's awesome. And not and not only that, but we have the most best ratings as yeah, well, some, right? Yeah, so, it's, it's it's cool. Yeah, 311 five-star reviews, yep. uh, ratings, uh, uh, 204 reviews. Uh, feel, feels kind of good six months in, man. I, 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 you know, we, Brandon and I work really hard on, on, uh, on this show, and, and uh, we definitely appreciate the listeners. And, and uh, uh, hopefully, yeah, and, and those of you who haven't left a review or rating, please, you know, we, we'd, love, uh, we'd love more. It's certainly... Uh, uh, boosts Brandon's uh, fragile ego. <laughs> it does. I, I cry in the corner sometimes until I get reviews and ratings. So yes, yes. So don't, don't, don't make Brandon cry. Leave a review. <laughs> Thank you. Well, yes. L- l- before I cry, let's jump to the quick, quick, quick tip. tip. And uh, my my quick tip is it's Brandon's birthday today. So wish him a happy <laughs> birthday. Okay, so today is Tuesday, two days after before you're going to be listening to the show. So leave him a happy a retroactive birthday. Belated birthday. Yeah, whatever. You know what? Well, that's Get not, over it. That's not my quick tip. My Uh-oh. quick tip today is something I learned this week, and I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, did you know, Josh, that you can listen? I mean, obviously, you can listen to podcasts on an iPhone. Did you know you can listen at one and a half or two times the speed? So you can like get twice as much Bigger Pockets podcast for the same time as you would like one episode. 
Now, while I like listening to myself talk, <laughs> and you for that matter, thank, thank you. listening to us like Alvin and the Chipmunks might be a little bit annoying. I it think. actually it doesn't raise the pitch. It just raises like the speed like this. But you can understand it. So anybody, if you're listening on iPhone right now, try it out. I don't know the exact button, but I was playing the other day with it, and I thought it was pretty cool. It's on the mobile app. Yeah, you can just click on the podcast. But yep. uh, I, I think it's not necessarily a quick tip I would agree with here. But, uh, you, know, know. you know, we'll agree to disagree. I, like uh, I guess we'll have to do that then. I, I like to consume as many podcasts as I can get in. So I'm a nice. podcast guy. Anyway, let's move on. Yes. All right. So today we've got a little bit of a longer show, guys. But this thing is filled with so much actionable content. Uh, we're going to just get right to it. Today's guest is Chris Clothier. Uh, Chris is a real estate investor from Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, his company manages over $100 million in assets. And Chris, uh, Chris is a thought leader on building scalable real estate business, uh, a scalable real estate business. Uh, Chris has been in, in real estate for a while now. He's got a successful company. Uh, he, he, he's not shy to, uh, to take questions and, and help people out on bigger pockets. He's one of our bloggers. And uh, we're, we're certainly excited to have him on the show. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years. And if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com host. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers a targeted 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of net profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, are first in line to get paid. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of a physical asset mitigate downside risk. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by directing your funds from Wall Street to Main Street and supporting local economies. The investment is reserved for accredited investors. Take control of your investments and secure more passive income today. Visit pinefinancialgroup.com slash biggerpockets to learn more about the fund. That's pinefinancialgroup.com slash biggerpockets. So today we're going to talk about growing not just a real estate portfolio, but the business behind it, as well as a lot of tips, tricks, things like that about managing tenants uh, and managing your, your rental properties. So uh, with that, why don't we just get to the interview? What's going on, Chris? Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Josh. Brandon, good to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Good to have you. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Chris. Well, let's hop right in on this, man. We got, we got a lot of things we want to cover with you, but why don't we take it back to the very beginning? How did you get started in real estate? Day one? Day zero. All right. Day, day zero. It's kind of funny. I was watching TV and I saw an infomercial from Carlton Sheets. Nice. Uh, there you go. I, I actually still have that entire program start to finish. Um, that's, that's how I got started with the very first deal I ever did was watching Carlson Sheets, bought it, actually did use one of his techniques to uh, do my first deal. And so, um, you know, that's me personally. That's how I got started. Cool. I just actually talked to an investor yesterday who told me the exact same thing. Just a local guy said uh, he started with Carlson Sheets. So I wonder how many of you older guys, you know, started. started <laughs> I mean, you know, like Carlton, Chris. Carlton Sheets wasn't on the air when I was. When I was looking into real estate, we had flipped this house and stuff, but that did not take long for that <laughs> old guy to come out to this. Is to the audience, it is Brandon's birthday today, so be sure when you're listening, <laughs> you know, you're listening a couple of days ahead. But uh, when you're listening, be sure to give him a hard time about turning old. Yeah, this will be old news, but I'm still uh, I'm still doing real estate in my twenties here, so I'm okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So you start with this. What, what, what was that first deal? What did it look like? Yeah, I had a, actually I had a house that I was trying to sell. Um, and it was a personal residence having a lot of difficulty selling it because it was outside the city, a lot of, uh, land anyway, kind of a, just one of those, one of those houses that was going to take the exact right buyer. And I had a guy come to me, he wanted to buy the house, but he had a contingency and that was, he had a house to sell first. Um, I didn't want to take the contingency, but it dawned on me that he had a house that was right next to Rhodes University. And it was a, obviously that's a, that's a beautiful university here in Memphis, a great, uh, place from what I'd read to invest. So I made him an offer. I said, I'll buy your house to free you up to buy mine. And we, we both came off our prices a little bit, kind of worked into an area that I thought I could make money. Ultimately I did. I, I bought his house at a price good enough for me to be able to rent it out to a student and you know that's that's what I did. That's how that happened. Nice, nice. And and how did that go uh, thereafter in terms of uh, renting out to a student? I, there's there's a lot of people who listen who are like, yeah, you know, buying buying property in a university town is is uh, potentially a good idea. Was it a good idea? No. <laughs> <laughs> it um it was a great house, but it was a single family house. Uh, so I ended up I, I brought a, a student in. He rented it went well for the first year. He moved out, broke the lease, didn't trash the house. It wasn't destroyed or anything, but, um, it, you know, I had a little bit of work to come back in and do, which all investors expect. But the second time around, I had a family, uh, that ended up renting the house. So that was one of the first applicants I had the second time around. It worked out. I wanted them, uh, uh, to rent it because they had a good application. They ended up taking really good care of the house. It was much better. Nice. Nice. There you go. Well, yeah, you know, rent, renting out to, to folks who are qualified and, and who are less likely to destroy your property, I guess, is, uh, is a good way to go. Well, it, it was a good lesson uh, for me to learn because that was the first house I had done. Strangely enough, I was living in Denver and the house was in Memphis. And so it was one of those. It was a long distance transaction, long distance deal. Um, but I was under a lot of pressure. I had to get it done. You know, this was my personal residence back in Memphis. I was trying to sell. So. I had to get it done. I had to be creative and kind of think outside the box. And, you know, unlike a lot of investors, I'd only thought about it. This was my, 
this was the thing that said, hey, you have to do this. You have to get started if you're going to get going. So so it's right here in front of you. Go make it happen. Right on. So you get this first deal done. You're you're renting to this guy in Memphis. You're now in Denver. Uh, do you continue to rent in Denver uh, to, to invest in real estate in, in Denver or, or what happens there? Yeah, no, I, I went to Denver. At that point, um, it's kind of funny. That was that was an accident. I was lucky. That was really kind of that first investment deal. I was just lucky on it. Um, from there, I actually started doing fix and flips in Denver. That's where I really cut my teeth on real estate was buying and selling uh, houses that I was, you know, I, I don't know, I guess fix and flip, that's our terminology. That's the best way to say it. I was buying it, holding these properties, you know, anywhere from six to nine months is how long it would take me to renovate them and then uh, selling it back on the open market to a uh, owner occupant. Were you doing your own work at that point or did, were you hiring stuff out? With like what? what you like like, actual- yeah. Were you doing your own labor on the stuff or was it still contractors? No, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, if it requires anything more than a hammer and duct tape, I am challenged. <laughs> so, uh, no, we actually, we had a, a contractor um, that did that house with us. And I had a partner as well on, on those deals in Denver, but we had a contractor that, that did all the labor for us. We did all the rest of the work, all the, you know, finding it, marketing, all that kind of stuff. Okay, cool. Nice, nice, nice. All right. So what, what kind of transitioned you from the, Hey, I'm going to start and do this uh, deal in Memphis to the, the uh, flipping the, the buy you know, renovations. Yeah. Um, well, I was just interested. I mean, like everybody else, I, I, I was interested in real estate. This was the early two thousands. Um, I'd gotten Carlton sheets book. I, I was just interested and kind of had this romantic idea that it was really cool to buy a house and renovate it and, watch it go from, uh, you know, from what it was to what it can be. I, I don't know. I just, I was, I romanticized real estate a whole lot in my mind. I thought this was like this really awesome, fun thing to do. And it'd be so, you know, enjoyable. I can make so much money at it. Uh, so I looked at all the positive aspects of it and said, I'm going to get started. <laughs> and I, I quickly learned there's a lot more to it than just that. Right on, right on. And, and, and so, um, the, the rehabbing, I mean, what kind of, what kind of things did you, did you learn? You know, yeah. what you, you, obviously you can't just jump in and flip a house, right? I mean, obvi- there's some lessons, there's some things that, you know, mistakes you might've made, what, you yeah. know, share some of that with us. Well, a couple of things early on. Um, I've shared this a lot with, you know, through different ways in the past. I've, I brought a partner on, which, you know, for uh, a lot of people, they have to, and for others, they don't, I didn't have to do it. I did it uh, because I was nervous about doing it myself the first time around. I don't know if I was more scared of failure or success, but one or the other, it caused me to bring somebody else on, you know, hindsight, 2020, I would never do that again. Um, The other things that I I learned, you have to be really good at managing people. If you're not good at managing people, you're going to struggle with hiring different contractors and the, and all the different parts that make a successful, you know, purchase fix and flip, you know, style transaction. Yeah. So if you're, if you're not good at managing people and, and, and delegating and preparing, you're in trouble. Right on. And, and in terms of the partner, why, uh, you don't have to get into all the details, but is yeah. any, any reason in particular why you, you don't want to do that again or wouldn't want to? Well, because um, I gave the partner a lot more credit than I should have, and I gave myself less credit than I should have. So in other words, he... Um, Anybody could have done what he was doing. I, I was the money partner in it. He was the, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, he was the real estate area expert. And 
you know, my own common sense should have told me that some of the advice that we were getting, that I was getting, that he was giving, wasn't good enough. And this was a guy, I want to make sure I'm real clear. He was a friend of mine. Uh, It's not like it ended badly. It just, neither one of us, uh, he wasn't experienced enough in real estate. He'd only been a real estate agent for a very short period of time. He wasn't experienced enough investor for me to give him the credit I was giving. I just, you know, when I look back on it, I was nervous about doing my first deal on my own. Yeah. And so- Absolutely. Okay. No, that that's fair. So, so for, for other people who are just getting started or who are out there thinking, Hey, you know, maybe I should grab a partner, you know, maybe you can share a couple tidbits on, you know, what to look for or how to, how to maybe set up a, an equitable partnership that, that makes sense and how to kind of manage that relationship. Well, sure. It should be in my opinion. Uh, and you know, I'm in a partnership today. Um, it's a little bit different than what, you know, what it was back then. And it's, it's a, it's a different style of partnership, but just the same. Um, the difference between the two, the one, the reason why the first one didn't work and this one does is the same reason why someone should look for in a partnership. And that is whoever you're going to partner with, there has to be, they have to bring something to the table that's different than you. It's either they, they highlight uh, really good at your weaknesses um, or they really kind of bring out your strengths. One or the other, it has to be. Um because if you get if you get two people that are almost exactly the same in a partnership, you're going to have, you know, you're going to have trouble. It just tells you right off the bat you're going to have trouble. And if you're both brand new at real estate investing, um, neither one of you are good at at organization and delegation. It's it's just going to be it's going to be a struggle. That's the best way to put it. So you need to find somebody that that complements uh, you. They they bring strengths that you don't have. Right on. Right on. All right. No, that's, that's, that's great. Well, so, you know, we really want to, with the show, kind of take, take things to the next level a little bit. We want to, we want to start getting into some, some more advanced topics, but before we do, so you, you went, you're flipping houses in Denver, you know, today you've got this business. That's a, you know, it's a really substantial sizable business where you're, you're doing these turnkey properties down in Memphis. How did you go from, from that house flipper who was just figuring it out in Denver to, uh, this guy who's now got this, uh, this business today. Sure. It was, um, just the, the, the easiest way to put it is my, I was raised in an entrepreneurial family. Okay. Uh, I was just raised in a family that just, you know, when you see an opportunity, um, you create something out of it. And so my father is the one who started this company back in Memphis and he was, I was his first client actually, you know, he knew that I was buying houses. He knew I was, doing fix and flips in Denver. He knew about the first property I bought in Memphis and he had actually started investing in Memphis at the same time. And he just simply told me, if you want to buy more houses at the lower price point, which that was the, that was the key factor for me. Um, I could purchase more properties in Memphis with the same dollars than I could in Denver. And so uh, he said, look, if you want to buy them, he would handle all of the you know, legwork, all the groundwork for me. And so that's, that's really how it started. I was the original client for our company. Wow. And yeah, I had a lot of friends in the, in the real estate uh, field up in Denver and several of them were interested. They were like, you know, what are you doing? Let, let's, let's see what you've got going on down there in Memphis. Maybe we want to invest. And really that's kind of, that's how it all got started. My father was working in, in Memphis and he was having the same conversations with other investors. I was working in Denver and having those conversations with other investors. And pretty soon we had people coming to us saying, Hey, if you can buy and renovate and rent and then hold these properties long-term yourself, would you mind doing that for us? 
And that's exactly how this whole thing started was, you know, one guy started it and said, hey, will you do this for me? And then that became two and so on and so forth. Okay, perfect. Well, so obviously to get from there to today, you've got to build uh, yeah. a scalable real estate business, right? So yeah. why don't we, we kind of jump into that, how that scaling kind of happened. So w- what comes first, I guess, r- ramping up your marketing or, or hiring people to, to handle it? You know, obviously you got to start getting customers, right? Sure. We, um, so where we started first was hiring people. Uh, it wasn't ramping up the marketing because contrary to what a lot of people think, when, when this style industry first started, uh, I can't speak for everybody out there, but I know for us, we didn't have clients all over the country. We had clients right here in Memphis. We had, you know, located in Memphis, we had FedEx pilots. We had executives at International Paper and AutoZone, you know, people that, that um, knew who we were, knew of our background and, you know, kind of take that one step further. We were extremely active in the uh, real estate investors associations. So, you know, we, a lot of people knew what we were doing. And I think that's really important, right? You said right there is just, you were active in the, in the real estate investor associations. I mean, like, I think that's a huge, huge importance just to, to get out there and let other people see who you are. Cause you never know where you're going to be two years from now or three years from now. So the relationships, yeah, you form now will definitely help later. Oh man, i tell you what. And, and that's the thing. So many people talk about marketing as if it's, um, like a very expensive thing that you have to do outside of like your everyday activities. And I, I could not disagree more. The, the best marketing you could ever do is talking to other people. And if you're at a RIA, if you're at a chamber of commerce, um, if you're at a mixer, whatever, you know, wherever you're at, the opportunity to tell people about who you are and what you do exists. And if, if you just get out and shake hands and tell people what's going on, that's the way we started. Gotcha. So, cost a dollar. Yeah. Yeah. So you just basically, you went to the RIA, you're, you're out there, you're letting them know who you are, what you're doing, you know, just shaking hands and, and that's, that's kind of building your network, right? Yeah, absolutely. Let me, t- I'll, I'll tell you uh, that for us, we're the kind of people also that just, um, you know, when it came to the RIA, there was a local RIA here that was good, but we also decided that, um, and this was my father that decided this, that, you know, he wanted to do something more than that. He thought that there was something missing. So he started his own RIA. Uh, we, you know, we, I think we were one of the only RIAs in the country that had a lunchtime meeting once a month. And so kind of what we had done is we created an avenue for more people to hear about our story while they were learning about real estate. Yeah. Yeah. That's smart. I, I, Ann Bellamy talked about that back on the podcast we had with her as well. Um, where she just said, you know, like she started her own, real estate groups because there wasn't any that, you know, met her needs and that were doing what she thought a real estate group should do. So. Yeah. And, and why not? Right. I mean, if, if, uh, if you're going to go out there, go all in, if you, you know, and if, if you realize and you understand that, that your ability to make friends and network with people and earn others trust, I mean, that's key to any business. And so, you know, why not go out there and start a real estate investors association that's going to teach and talk about what you firmly believe in. And, before anybody thinks that that's like this real daunting task, but the very first meeting my dad had was around a conference table with seven other people. And they sat there and they just talked about what was going on in the real estate market that day and questions of those other people in the room. And that grew from seven people to a few years later, you know, 300 people. And that's all it was though. So it's not like it has to be day one, you got this huge group. It could be a handful. 
Absolutely. Yeah, and and I I I don't mean to plug BP, but but one of the cool things about uh, what's been happening lately on Bigger Pockets is you see a lot of these people doing that. You know, people are setting up their keyword alerts for uh, meeting up in Austin and 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 Washington and all over the place. And essentially, it's you know just a couple little people starting out, but it's amazing to watch it grow and grow. And even on Meetup.com and elsewhere, I mean, it's it's. It's amazing, you know. Just use the tools that are available to you to to help you build up your your little local groups. If there's not a RIA, or if the RIA that uh, is in your area is one that you, you know, doesn't doesn't share your values. Yeah, and you know the the question that you guys asked to make sure that I come back to it. You you were asking what do you do first? You know, do you ramp up your marketing or do you hire? And you know, for us, the first thing we did was we hired somebody to handle some of the tasks that we didn't really want to do anymore. Um, that, that was one of the very first things that we did because we knew that the marketing was every single day and it was low cost and it was a whole lot more about being out there and letting people know what we were doing and a whole lot less about, you know, the, the mundane and really technical side of it that we do today, like SEO and, you know, the, the blogging and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it was much more, um, handshaking back then when we were first getting started. So the first thing we knew we had to do was bring in people that would help us take the task that we didn't want to do. Yeah. Sharon Vornholt in her post on a, on Tuesday set a line just like that. I said, figure out what your inner genius is and run with that. And don't try to make something that you're you know not good at. Don't try to be the, the pro at that because it's just, you're wasting your own time. I love that. I, and I think that she's, uh, she writes a lot about that. And that's really, really good stuff. I mean, that, uh, she's a big believer in, uh, you know, kind of uh, outsourcing the things that you're not good at, that you don't enjoy and you don't have the time to do. And I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's uh, she calls it outsourcing for us. We we uh, we hire, <laughs> yep. but just the same. Yeah. yeah. And she talked about that, too, is some people do it internally. Some people do it externally. It just depends on your business model. And and uh, yeah, very, very smart. Um, definitely something that I need to get better at because. Yeah, I mean, it's key. If you want to ramp up your, your business, that's important. So, um, sure. Yeah, well, going back to we're talking about hiring, who was your first like, hire like uh, when you got started? So the, the first person we hired was a lady named Carol Henderson. And um, when my dad hired her, he told her that he wanted her part-time and he had really no idea what exactly she was going to be doing. I mean, you know, he, he had an idea and it was a lot of it was going to be spreadsheets and reporting um, so that he could always track what was happening. So how many offers was he making in a week? Uh, what was being accepted? Which um, real estate agents were accepting his offers? Who was, you know, uh, who was working best with him? What was he selling to uh, different investors? How long was it taking them to close? These, these little, little bitty tracking things that he needed somebody to track for him. So that's what he brought her in. So almost like an assistant, um, you know, for nothing more than just helping him track his business so he could see what he needed to do to improve. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I think that's just really cool about tracking stuff like that. I, I don't track any of that stuff, but uh, I should be. I mean, that, that makes sense. Well, it's, um, you know, I think Josh said a little while ago, you know, when, you, when you're talking about, y'all, I know y'all have already covered the, uh, the newbie, the, the, the new guys off the block, but when you're talking about experienced investors and how to ramp up and get to that next stop, you know, that next position, and keep going up the ladder. A lot of this kind of stuff comes down to it. It's, it's, I don't want to say basic. That's not really what I mean, but I mean, it's, it's business concepts. It's not so much about just real estate. It's about, you know, really the, the business side of it and what do you have to do to be scalable? Yeah. Does that so, make sense? Yeah. Yeah. 
No, definitely. Different. So, so when's the right time then? So to, to, to say move from your, your home office, you know, and suddenly start hiring that first person, you know, Hey, I've done six deals. Now I want to hire that, that assistant to start kind of, you know, quantifying things and managing yeah. and working on things. When, when do you do that? Well, it's going to be different for everybody, but it's, it's, it, you know, for us, we moved out of our homes early on uh, and into just a small little one man office. And that was, we had done maybe 60, 60 deals in a year. So you're talking five a month. Um, but a lot of that was also mentality. I mean, we wanted the we wanted to feel like we were getting up and going somewhere every single day, not just sitting in a home office. Um, and that, you know, from there, small little thousand square feet, you got room to be able to put uh, Carol into. We actually made our second hire, which was um, somebody that was going to come in and help us to market to the, the real estate agent. So help us actually make enough offers get out there and market the rental properties, that kind of stuff. The, those, those next progressive steps to building out a bigger company was bringing somebody in that could help us um, figure out what all those, you know, next steps were. So we wanted to start a, a rental division where we actually manage the property. So a property management company, but we weren't hundred percent sure what all those steps were. We wanted somebody that was going to help us make more offers, but you know, we weren't hundred percent sure what those steps were. So we brought a guy in, uh, and we told him it's your you know, responsibility off the start to get this thing up and going. We're going to meet on a daily basis and, and you tell us the progress you're making. So it's almost like um, we knew what we wanted, but we didn't want to slow the business down to figure it out. So we brought somebody else in and said, here, we want you to help us figure out what these next steps are. And he was a that was a, a great hire for us. Uh, and I'm going to tell, tell you something that may be a little bit uh, shocking at first. Yeah, we brought him in. He has gone out there now and he's, he's got his own company. We've actually had about half a dozen people that have come in, worked for us, learned this business, and then gone out and started their own companies. Like to compete um, with you? Well, yeah. In, in, some, in some respects, they have. They, and I wouldn't exactly say that they do today, but that's not a negative. I'm not, I'm not saying a negative about it. I'm just saying that they, they grew out from underneath our wings. They came to work for us. They ended up going out there and becoming an entrepreneur on their own more power to them. I mean, you cannot be scared of that. If you're going to grow and scale your business, you got to bring in really quality people and understand they may leave. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, really quick, let me just plug, uh, the show notes here. You guys, this is uh, show 26 of the bigger pockets podcast, and you can check out our show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 26. Um, let's, Let's jump back for a second here because, you know, there's been some debate. We're talking about scaling your business, growing it out and, and, and these hires. And, and, you know, some people will just go and say, oh, who's our next hire? How do we do it, right? Sure. Um, let's talk about business plans. Yeah. How important are they and, and really how formalized do they need to be? Have you, have, did you guys have a plan? Could, would, would things have been better if you did, if you didn't, you know, that, that kind of stuff? Um. I'm going to, I'm just, I'm going to give you advice in this answer here. That's going to be so contrary to what a lot of people would tell you, but I'm, I'm no, we didn't, but I want to also make it real clear that we were extremely experienced business people. Um, we had started, you know, between us nine companies that had grown to over $10 million in annual sales. I mean, we just, we had a lot of experience hiring, a lot of experience training. We knew what we were doing. So, um, as far as scaling and growing a business. 
for somebody that's just getting started off that has never owned their own business or they've worked in the corporate world, they know they have the skills, they have the right attitude, they're ready to get going. Yeah, a business plan is extremely important. Um, and when I say a business plan, I mean laying out where it is you want to go. What is your ultimate vision? And this, this is not something you can do just you know overnight. It's something you have to put a lot of heart and soul into of where do I want to go? Why in the world do I want to do this in the first place? And then you begin to make a plan of how do I get there? Yeah. 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 No, I, I agree completely. I always, I always talk about that. Like a business plan is like a roadmap and uh, it helps you get, helps you figure out how to get there. Well, it also helps you say, okay, I know I got to hire this person because I'm lousy at it. I got to hire this person because I hate doing it. And I got to hire this person because I don't have time for it. You know, those are, those are the reasons why you hire somebody else. And so you got to know, this is what I'm going to have to hire. And it's kind of funny. I've had this conversation with a lot of people that have talked to me about um, property management companies. They've called me up and said, how do, you know, just that one little piece, what do I need to do? And what are the numbers and how many do I need to manage? And when can I be profitable? And of course it's always different, but you know, it's, that's one of the first things I tell them is sit down with a business plan and begin to write out, you know, some of these numbers of, of what it's going to take for you to be able to, to get to that next hire and get to profitability and get to, you know, scalability. So, so in terms of the hires then, you know, take, take you for example, we'll take a hypothetical, right? So you've got, you've got this first hire and they're helping you analyze and organize and market and all this stuff. And now you're paying a salary, right? So you got to cover them. You got to cover yourself. You got to cover your partners. Um, You may not have the cash to hire that next person, but you need that next person. So, you know, do you think then perhaps it's better for these companies to just keep working on deals until that cash flow starts to come in or to t- maybe perhaps take on some debt? All right. So we never took on debt. Um, we paid everybody out of the deal. So everybody's tied to the performance, period. That's the way we started. Okay. Okay. Can um, you expound upon that a little bit? Yeah. So, um, we didn't bring in a bunch of people and say, okay, I'm going to pay you X, Y, Z salary. Everybody was, was, uh, when we first started anyway, everybody was brought in as, as independent, uh, 1099 employees, part of the team. And if you did your job and I did my job and, and that lady or man over there did their job, um, then deals closed. And when the deal closed, it brought in X dollars of revenue. And out of that revenue, everybody gets paid, the bills get paid and what's left at the bottom is what I make as an owner. That's how we started. Everyone got paid from the deal. And, you know, so for us, we thrive under pressure. If you are a experienced business person and you, and that, and you know that you are good under pressure, that's a great way to start it. It's one of those things of we only eat what we kill, kill or grow. If you're a vegetarian, I mean, it's, <laughs> if, if you're not growing it, you ain't eating it. If you're not killing it, you ain't eating it. That's, that's the way we started off. And it worked really well for us because the, somebody that would accept that position, they, they're the same kind. They say, yeah, I like that challenge. Let me do that. And that's what we did. We surrounded ourselves with great people. We were honest with them from the beginning. This is how you're going to make money. And you couple that with the fact that we were super confident, you know, we, we really believed that we, you know, what we were doing and we were, we were also very open and honest. We told everybody we had no idea where we were going or how we were going to get there. Um, there wasn't, there wasn't a whiteboard somewhere that had, you know, step one, step two, step three. There was just very, very simply, 
we knew we were going to do it. And we surrounded ourselves with people that believed in that and said, you know what, I'm up for the challenge. And that's, that's, that's how we did it. Pay for it out of the deal. Now, if you, if you don't do that, Josh, and to your original question, I would say that, that you have to have capital in your business before you go out and hire somebody. And, um, you know, it's probably too short to sit here and go through all the steps of yeah, advice. Yeah, of course. But surround yourself with great people. Surround yourself with experienced business people that can help you make sure you got all of the uh, questions answered, all the T's crossed, I's dotted, good lawyer, good accountant, good people that can say, okay, this is what you need to do and how you're going to do it. You know, and, and I think for the new, some of the newer folks who might be listening, you know, w- what you said actually presents an opportunity for them because there might be a guy like Brandon who's, you know, an experienced investor who's doing well, who needs to build this team, and he's looking for somebody who just wants to hustle, right? He's looking for somebody mm-hmm. who needs to work his backside off. And if you are an, a local investor who's like, you know, hey, I know this guy's successful. I know I'll work my butt off and I'm willing to only get paid upon the closure of a deal for him. You know, you need, you go in there and pitch him, right? Hit him up. Yeah. Sure. How, do you, how do you turn that down? It's like, I'm going to make you money and it's not going to cost you anything and really no risk. Like, Well, let me, let me tell you one other thing too, guys. And that is for all the listeners out there is that don't be, uh, don't be scared to share don't be scared to share in, in, in the wealth of what you're doing. Um, you know, a, a lot of times there's there's just certain emotions that we allow to get in the way, whether it's, um, you know, it, it's kind of funny. Sometimes people feel guilty about making more money. Uh, and 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 if you if you really think about what I just said there, people feel guilty about, you know, I can I can sell a investment property for round numbers at 50,000 uh, and I do well and my team does well. But the marketplace says I can sell this for 55,000, but I feel guilty selling it at that price, you know, because I'm doing well at 50. I do good. My team does good. That's uh, if you want to build a scalable business that is built on good, solid business principles, you have to, you know, you have to watch your market and capitalize as much as you can based on your market. Well, let, you let, let's talk about that for a second. So, sure. So if you're, if you're in a market and, you know, you're thinking 50 and, and the market's saying 55. Um, now that 55, you sure, surely have to have a better, uh, a top quality product, right? Absolutely. You can't, you can't sell the bottom of the barrel property uh, at the top of the barrel price. No, I mean, it, and think about the other, the other side of that too, Josh, is that if you're surrounding yourself with really good, high quality people and because you're taking on uh, more responsibility, because you got more mouths to feed, you have to get your price up. Well, you should also hold all those people accountable to something. I mean, and so I'm going to, I'm going to kind of tie it around to something that Sharon had said, what is your core competency? You know, what, what is not just you personally, but what is going to be your company's core competency? And that's what you focus on uh, where that higher quality comes in. So what I mean by that, Josh is, you know, um, are you the, the type of, of company that says our core competency is just selling properties super low price? They're not the best property, but they are good. They're serviceable. They're going to bring you the type of return you're looking for. And but it's going to attract uh, a person that's interested in a uh, Toyota Corolla. You know, it's, it's dependable, but it's not top of the line. Or are you the kind of company that's going to sell at the top of the line 
And what you're bringing is every bell and whistle, everything's been touched and handled. The customer service is, you know, above and beyond. So you're selling the, you know, the, the Lexus or the Mercedes of the, of the housing world. That's the, that's what I mean by that. And you nailed it that um, whatever you are, are whatever your core competency is, that's what you offer. And you base your price on that. Gotcha. Now that's great. Well, so re- really quick, because uh, we want to move on to some other stuff. And yeah. this, this show, we could, we could yap forever here. Um, working on your business versus in your business, right? So clearly you get to a point and you've got you to look at it from the big picture view versus, you know, hammers and nails, right? So sure. how, does, how does an investor, ex, you know, step out of working in the business to working on the business? Well, if you, you have to, it goes back to what I said a second ago, surround yourself with some really good advisors, some really good people. Um, and it, and it doesn't necessarily mean they have to hold a position of advisory. It could be, you know, a really close friend of yours that you have a lot of faith in as a business person. Um, but you take time to go meet with those people and away from your day-to-day activities. So many of us, we jam pack our schedules and we feel like we, you know, we're so busy and so, um, I guess so busy doing all the really, really important things that we don't take the time to step back. We don't make the time to step back and uh, ask questions like, what do I need to be doing next? What can I uh, hand off to someone else? I mean, I'll give you a great one, okay? And this is a question we ask a lot. Every time we get ready to hire somebody new, we always ask ourselves, are we getting maximum effort and efficiency out of the people that we have? And we have people that, that actually work in multiple different departments. They do multiple different things for us because where we originally hired them for, we couldn't maximize them. So my point is step away, go to, go to dinner, have a, have a weekly breakfast, have a, uh, you know, a, a weekly meeting, whatever it is, get away from your business, sit down with people that you trust around you and just say, look, here's my business. What do I need to be working on? That's great. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really, really good advice. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Listen up, business owners, because I've got some quick little math for you. Fewer costs equal more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Oh, also, NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. 
Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You can improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. So don't let rising costs sink your business growth. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash biggerpockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. And BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Awesome, man. All right, so let's let's shift gears a little bit here and and move over and talk about property management a little bit. Uh, sure. It's something that you guys do. Um, how, how many units? Why don't we just start with with what you guys are doing to give people an idea? How many how many units does your company company uh, excuse me does your company currently manage? Uh, a little over eighteen hundred. Wow, that That's, was a lot more than I thought. <laughs> yeah, and it's in two cities, so we're we're in in two cities now. A little over eighteen hundred. Wow, and how many how many people do you have working in those kind of divisions of your company? Well, just specifically full time in those divisions is fourteen, and then we have uh, about a half a dozen that are part time ten ninety nine. And then there's a there's another half dozen or so that kind of bleed over to help out in those those particular divisions. They work elsewhere within the company, but they they share responsibility over there. Okay, gotcha. Cool, gotcha. So so let's talk about uh, real quick. If I could jump in, I want to know about how sure. you fill vacancies. Um, I guess what's the process for you? Like a unit goes vacant. What do you what do you guys typically do? Well, um, from day one, the way that we market properties. Um, 
We're a little unique, but we have, we actually put four rental signs in a yard. Really? Um, yeah. Four signs. <laughs> four signs. Really? And are I, they all the same signs or, or? Okay. So they're, they all, they, they look similar. So they are blue and white. They have to be blue and white. Um, but for, for those of you out there that are, that are right now thinking, what in the heck did he just say? Kind of imagine <laughs> this, that um, we created a system early on that was all about competition. So we wanted, as I said earlier, we wanted people that were hungry, that really wanted to work, work hard and earn their living. So we pay our rental agents very well. Uh, we pay them very well. And what we've done is each of them has their own sign that has their own independent number. Um, so we don't have this one branded sign that sits in a yard. Everybody has their own sign. Um, they have to be blue and white. The person that rents the highest number of homes in a month gets to put their sign as the very first sign next to the curb. So all the signs are lined up. They have to be lined up um, vertically or yeah, vertically from the curb. So between the curb and the front door vertically, so you can see it from both directions. Um, The first sign by the street is the lead rental rep. The second sign from in is just whoever gets out there next. We only allow four signs. We have about nine people at any given time that rent houses for us. And this is in Memphis. This is where we you know, have a majority of our homes. Uh, it's slightly different in Texas, but it's not really worth going into because it's such a different market. But um, that's, that's how we do it here in Memphis. And what happens is, if you think about it, a renter pulls up in front of a property and they're going to call that first number. And if somebody doesn't answer the phone, well, they're going to call that next number. And if they don't answer, they're going to call that next number. So what it, what it does and the way we train our people is if you're not answering your phone, you're not making money, you're going backwards. And if you don't answer it, somebody else will, they're going to get that rental. And pretty soon they're going to pass you. They're going to be number one. I'm sorry. That sounds crazy. (laughs) Hey, the the funny thing is, is everyone that, that comes to visit us and we, we do have, you know, entrepreneurs, whatever they come in to visit us and kind of learn about our systems, but they, um, they all, I mean, they just smile and just shake their heads. Like, I cannot believe that, that this is the way this happens. Um, but we, you know, we run on average a vacancy rate of this year anyway, a little bit, it's around, we'll just call it round number 4%. So it's, it's been a little bit under 4%, a little bit over 4% running right through there. Um, properties typically take less than 40 days for us to get uh, not just rented, but to actually get a tenant moved in. And what's happened is, is we've got people, two things, people that really, really, really want to rent houses for us because they know they can make a lot of money if they're willing to hustle. Um, so just real quickly, what we don't do, and I don't suggest anybody does is there's, we don't have that one branded sign. Uh, we don't have that one call number where you got to leave a message and someone will call you back later because the tenant, they're ready to see it right then. And so, I mean, that's, that's what we do. Our rental agents, they're not in the office. They're out They're on the streets all day. That's what they do. And we pay them well for it. All right. So I was going to say, I love how you kind of gamify it. Like you you make it a competition. That's, that's, oh man, we, uh, in every week in the office, we don't ask them, uh, you know, we, well, put it this way. We make them give us a goal. How many houses are you going to rent this week? And then they come in, they, you know, wherever they're on their goal, we come back to them and say, what, you know, we've been known to ask people before, what are you doing here? You know, you, you, for two weeks in a row, you haven't rented a house. Why are you even coming to this meeting anymore? What, what's the, what's your purpose? And do they leave crying? No, they don't leave crying. <laughs> they, 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 uh, we've had some people that uh, a few that, that they eventually stopped showing up, but that's okay. 
we want to surround ourselves with great people that are willing to work hard. And in return, I keep going back to this point in return for working hard, there is a substantial reward there. I mean, we don't, we don't, uh, a lot of times you hear people talk about hire somebody and, you know, for this position, it's a, it's a $25,000 a year job, or that's a $40,000 a year job. And for us, it's, we try and create as many jobs as possible where it's, you can make whatever you want to make. It's, you know, we always tell our rental agents, you cannot out rent us because, you know, as soon as, uh, and you'll, you'll find this crazy, but one of our earlier conversations earlier this year was when our, when our rental vacancies are down below 4%, we're not buying enough houses. You know, we have, we, our rental agents have become so proficient at what they do that they're, they're out renting us. So it, that's a sheer sign of get more houses bought, get more houses sold, get more houses rented. Go ahead. Well, so uh, what, you know, yeah. So what are these, what are these rental agents doing to attract tenants? Are they putting ads in the phone, you know, or the phone book or the newspaper? What are they doing? So 75% of our rentals um, come from two areas, one drive-by, and that's by far our biggest lead generator. You know, when you see four signs lined up in a house, you pretty much know whose house it is now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not spread out throughout the city. You know, we, we are, we're concentrated in areas that we like to invest in and we like to manage in. So, um, you know, we've cut the city down in, to about a third. So we manage and, and own and operate in about, you know, a third to, to half of the city. Um, so, you know, we're managing so many properties now that when you're talking about a 4% vacancy, you're still talking about 80 properties out there that have a rental sign up or th- those four rental signs up in them. So we get a lot of street traffic. And if somebody sees a house for rent, but it, it may not be affordable for them or it may not be the, the right size for them, we can very quickly direct them to one nearby that, that meets their criteria. Right on, right yeah. on. So l- let me ask you this. I, you know, I'm, I'm imagining seeing four signs and I'm like, what the hell's going on here? I'm like, I, there's four <laughs> different phone numbers, four different names. You know, as, as a potential renter, I wonder, you know, how, is there any confusion there for those guys? And when, when you guys get people calling who are not familiar with you, uh, does, you know, is there like a, Hey, what's going on? There's four different people renting this house or do people think it's kind of scandalous almost a scam Four have uh, four signs. What's up? Well, you know, that hasn't been said to us. I'll put it that way. We haven't, yeah. we haven't had anybody come in and say that to us, but one of the things that we really, really do, and you may have kind of picked up on it for me saying that is that we have uh, a lot of accountability. We do a lot of training, um, within our company. So, you know, those phone numbers, it's not somebody picking up the phone and saying, uh, you know, hello, or, you know, um, yo, they're answering the phone <laughs> as uh, premier property management, uh, or, um, you know, we have one young lady that actually with not, I, I'm not gonna say with our help, but she's just gone out there and she's now an entrepreneur herself. She started her own rental company that is an independent contractor for us as our management company. So if you follow everything I just said there, she went out and she said, I can rent so many houses that I can actually afford to hire people and start my own company. Uh, it's called Memphis rentals or something where she goes out and she rents house. So, she, so her, she has people now that answer the phone as Memphis rentals and they come out, they look at her properties. Everything is from that point becomes premier property management, our company, but it's very, actually these, the people that we have doing this for us, they're very professional. Um, and the signs, I will tell you that we don't have just this core class sign sitting out there on a bandit sign stand. We have, um, you know, black metal, um, 
rental signs. It's almost like a, it's a, it's a rental stand. that's much like a for sale sign would sit in. So it's, you know, you want to, we want to tr- try and make it as uh, appealing and as professional as possible, but we don't want to remove the competitive atmosphere. And there's a lot of debate in our company that the bigger we get, that we, maybe we need to, to make changes, but man, I tell you, why change something that works as well as this system does? And it is funny. It's funny because we, the one thing we do get told Josh now people, they recognize four blue signs, premier property management. Yeah. 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 That's cool. Real quick. I'm going to jump in. I was, I noticed in my area when I tried to call some property management companies a few years ago, uh, I was thinking about getting property management instead of doing it myself. And, uh, every single one of them answered the phone with hello. I mean, that was just their answer. Was it with that accent? It was exactly. It was like old, like, yeah, like angry, you know, like, like I hate the world. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Hello. Roz. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so Uh, I just thought if I could, if I could answer the phone, I would be one step above all these people. Oh man. You know, I've, I've talked a whole lot in the past about, um, basic customer service yeah, and it's amazing how low the bar is (laughs) to be really great. Yeah, I I agree. (laughs) Yeah. And and the way you answer the phone, uh, Brandon, that's a great point for anybody listening out there because no matter what you're doing in real estate, no matter what your business is, um, man, the way you answer the phone, the way you react to that very first phone call, uh, the very first impression, man, it, it means so much as whether or not you're going to be successful. Yep. Definitely. Yeah, so. I agree. Definitely. Definitely. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about tenants. Um, wh- what would immediately disqualify a tenant from renting from you guys? Uh, they're breaking a lease with someone else uh, to come rent from us. I'd say that's, that's a great one. That's an immediate disqualification. Uh, on our part. And I, and um, let me, let me put that a different way. That's an immediate red flag. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's something that, that we would have to think long and hard, but I can't imagine a scenario where we'd rent to somebody that's doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's interesting. That's one of those out of the box things that, you know, people set up their own criteria, obviously within the law, but uh, you know, that's, that's a really good criteria to have because, you know, you know, if they're going to break somebody else's lease, well, you know, shoot, you're next. Hey, look, it's, you know, you can go back. And the reason why I kind of, I qualified that a little bit is because there's always a reason for everything. You know what I mean? And so whether it's a bankruptcy or it's a eviction or it's a, um, you know, or breaking a lease, there's always a reason for it. Now, whether or not they can make us feel comfortable, that's a different story. But, uh, and most of the times when somebody's breaking a lease, they're not going to be able to make us feel comfortable. But if they come to us and say, you know, we can verify you go to their house and they've got missing ceiling and water dripping in there. And, and, you know, somebody won't come take care of their house. It's a bad landlord. That's a scenario we'd probably work with somebody. Oh, sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, so a couple of months ago, I wrote this guide called, uh, it was like the ultimate guide to tenant screening. And I, I think I wrote like 6,000 words on, on how to screen a tenant, but I'm, I'm curious. Um, and I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes, but I'm curious your process. What do you actually look for then in a good tenant? What, what's the most important things? Uh, most important thing, I, I want to know what their job and their job history are. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I, I again, uh, there's not a lot of construction going on in certain parts of the country. So if you're renting in certain parts of the country and you've got a guy that walks in, he's a bricklayer and that is his trade. And he's been a bricklayer for a long time. And maybe he's independent. Um, and, but what he can tell me he makes and he's renting at the, yeah, at the top of the level. So he's renting, I mean, this is the maximum rent he can afford. 
I, I may struggle to rent to that person. I, you know, I have to think long and hard. I had a lot of conversations about him because, you know, his industry or his income is tied to an industry that's hurting. That's so that's, that's something I really look at. Where are they, where are they employed? How long have they been employed? And what's the likelihood that they're going to stay employed and, and continue to earn at that level? Yeah. Um, and doesn't mean I wouldn't rent to them, but I may encourage them to rent at a lower rate. That's, that's a great criteria. And again, I think that's, that's something that a lot of property managers, I, I think, you know, I've had a lot of experiences, most of them bad with property management. And, and as we talked about, the bar is so low um, when it comes to this stuff. And, and, you know, if you could find somebody to, to, to look at the big picture like that, I mean, it, it seems like it's, it's just so important. Well, and you gotta, you gotta remember that my business, my property management business is tied back to my turnkey company. I mean, so it's got, you gotta kind of remember that when we're making decisions that, and the way we're setting up our property management company, it's, it's, it's much more bigger picture. And so Josh, we, it's important that we don't have failure. And so we don't want investors to fail. And one of the best ways to help an investor make sure they don't fail is to help their tenants succeed. You know, don't let the tenant fail. So if you've got a guy that wants to rent a house and they've fallen in love with it, but it's too expensive for them, the, the, the one month's rent and the 9% income and all, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to the, the hassle that it's going to mean for that tenant, which is your client and also the, the investor somewhere that, that owns that house. It's just not worth it to them. So it's much better to set everyone up for success from the beginning and when you make a habit of doing that, you build a business over time that, that just works that way. I mean, it just, it, it, you know, I guess that's the best way to put it. You have to, you have to um, set everyone up for success. And when you do, your business will grow. Yeah, that's great, 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 great advice. All right. So let me, let me step that up uh, a bit here. I'm an investor. I have a property management company and I have got a property that's sitting for one month, two months, how do I ensure that the property managers are, are doing their job? Obviously, if it's not renting, then they're not doing their job to, to, to make the tweaks that need to happen, right? Yeah. How, do I, how do I avoid not getting in bed with those guys? How do you screen the, the, the managers? And, and I think uh, Brendan and I kind of talked about this before, beforehand. We really want to talk about this a little bit. I know you wrote a really brilliant piece uh, it was maybe earlier this year or last year about uh, finding pro- screening property managers. One of my favorite articles I've ever read on that topic. Um, but let's dig into that a little bit. You know, I'm biased on this. So it's, it's kind of, it's hard to answer this question um, 100%, Josh, because uh, I'm, I'm not going to sit here. I don't want to, I don't want to toot our horn or how we do things. No, no, of course. But it's just, you know, there are, I know that there are really good high quality management companies in every city. I mean, they, they do exist. I don't know who they all are. I haven't networked with all of them, but I, I just, you know, I know that not all of them are, are going to be um, the horror stories that we hear about, but there are certain things that I believe any investor should look for. Um, and, you know, it's kind of funny. It doesn't, it's not real estate experience. It's not real estate license. It's um, business experience. You know, um, it's set up of their company. How many employees do they have? Do they have the infrastructure and the network set up to one, be able to keep me informed of what's going on to be responsive to me and to the tenants? And these are, you know, again, in my mind, these are just basics. These are things that 
Um, unfortunately, they're, you know, property management companies and, went, and they've dug their own or built their own reputation have oftentimes been kind of gone off the, the idea of stay small, keep it all as a, as a, an attitude. And I don't mean stay small as in rentals. I mean, stay small as in staff. Um, and I know, I know some guys that are managing the same number of properties we are, and they've got, you know, three, four people maximum on their staff, Ooh. but they have vacancy rates uh, in the low to mid teens. They have turnover about every, uh, you know, six to eight months. And, you know, for some reason, uh, whether it's location or whatever, the people, they, they accept that. So, so what are then, you know, we can go through the whole thousand questions. We could go on and on about it, but you know, say I'm, I'm somebody who's going to hire a property manager. Give me, give me like two or three key things to ask that property manager that I could use to screen the bad guys out and some, and and find somebody who's potentially going to be at that level of professionalism. That's going to kick some backside. Okay. So everybody, every property management company out there is going to talk about their vacancy rate. I mean, that's, that's, that's going to happen because it's a number that anybody could pull out of their backside and say, this is what it is, or this is, you know, and whether they know it or whether they think it, it's, it's one of those numbers that people tend to throw out fairly quickly. Don't ask them that. Ask them what's their average length of stay. Um, what's their average length of stay? Next question to ask them is how many properties are they managing? And then the next one to ask them is how many properties did they rent last year? When you have those three pieces of information, what you have in front of you now is uh, are they a good company or are they not a good company? Because if, if they tell you that our average length of stay is two, three, four years. Okay. And they have a hundred properties under management and they rented 50 last year. What's their average vacancy? What's their average length of stay? I mean, do you know at that point you do? And I'll tell you how you know that if somebody oh, were, says, were you waiting for an answer? <laughs> Yeah, well, that was a rhetorical question. It's um, my birthday. I don't do math on my birthday. They've got they've got a hundred properties, and I probably lost some people there. I want to make sure I don't do that. They they've got a hundred properties. They rented fifty. That means they turned half of their portfolio in one year. Yeah. On average, they'll turn the other half the next year. That means your your length of stay on average is going to be less than two years. Um, it's a quick little way to find out: Do these guys, you know, what? what what kind of service are they offering and what kind of service are they doing for their clients? And that client being that tenant over there. Some of the other questions I would ask, obviously, is how many people do you have on staff? What are their job descriptions? What are their roles? What do they do for you? Um, then what should be very important, I think, to every investor out there uh, that owns a property is going to have a management company, whether they're in town or out of town, is how responsive are they to the tenant? So ask a question of, tell me about your tenants. Tell me about your relationship with your tenants and you're going to get real quickly if they have empathy, um, which is required if you're going to be a successful business that deals with people or do they have uh, apathy where they could care less. Um, it's just it's a business transaction, just some dude that's coming in and, and dropping the rent off and, uh, you know, and you'd be surprised at the number of management companies that actually hate their tenants. Yeah, they hate doing it. They hate dealing with them. Yeah. And. I'm going to tell you as a, as an investor, if you find somebody that's that way, you don't want to do business with them. Um, you don't because they're not going to keep your properties occupied. They're not going to have a good reputation. 
They're not going to have a long length of stay, a longer occupancy. Um, and there's a higher probability that, that the way that they operate is, look, I'm good with people moving out. The more they move out, the more money I make. Well, uh, let, let's move on to our last little section here. This is something we started a couple weeks ago. Uh, yeah. that I, I got really good feedback. So we're going to, we, we call it, I guess, the fire round. Uh, we're, fire round. <laughs> yes. Fire round. Oh my. We're okay. going to just ask a bunch of quick questions uh, and you're going to fire answer those questions. So if that's cool. Uh, awesome. So uh, yeah, why don't we just uh, start? We're going to stick on the management topic for a little bit here. Uh, section eight. What are your thoughts? No. Okay. Why? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to ask why too. Yeah, strictly, guys, this is strictly just my city. Every property is available for Section 8, but we generally rent them well before uh, Section 8 ever comes around to them. Only, yeah, that's just strictly our choice. We are so good at what we do, and that is a little plug, that I don't need Section 8. Okay. Okay, cool. Uh, what are your thoughts on renting to tenants with pets? Um... I don't like it and I especially don't like it when they don't tell us. If they don't tell us, they're evicted. Um, if they tell us, it requires a higher deposit and an approval of the particular pet that they're going to put in the house. So you interview the pet. We want to meet the pet one-on-one. No, we, we want to know. <laughs> I do want to know what kind of dog it is. So there's, there's certain vicious breeds that, that we have a policy that we will not rent to. And uh, depending on the size of the dog, depends on the size of, or the cat is uh, how big the pet deposit has to be. And it's automatically forfeited from the front. And what if it was like a cat person like Brandon, who's got like 17 cats? <laughs> I have three. Probably, probably <laughs> not going to happen, but I can't say for sure. <laughs> we don't have a policy, but he it's- He won't it's, rent to you, Brandon. <laughs> it's it's, it's going to be questionable. I'll sneak him in. It's going to be questionable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, how do you deal with problems? Uh, you, you already said eviction for you know that, but let's say somebody, you expect them to be a drug dealer. What do you do? I expect them to be a drug dealer? Oh, suspect. suspect. Yeah, suspect. suspect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. If I suspect them to be a drug dealer, uh, we're going to get the authorities involved. It's not, we're, we're certainly not going to do it ourselves. It's going to be the authorities are going to get involved. If the authorities come to us, um, that they've got a case working against somebody that's occupying one of our properties. We, we, the, the law has a, 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 a met or what is it? A process for you to go through. So we just follow the, the, the law's process and evict them. Okay. Got it. Tenant calls and says, Oh, Chris, I'm going to be a week late on my rent. Uh, what do you do? I ask them for the exact date and time they'll be in the exact amount that they're bringing in. I confirm it with them. I make them repeat it back to us. And then we'll send them an email confirming that this is what they told us. And then we update our notes and prepare to receive the rent on that day. Okay. And do you charge a late fee still? Absolutely. Okay, yeah. And now look, you, the question you just asked, if they're being proactive, you bet you, yeah, I'll work with them. If they're, if they violate that, they're, they're, uh, more than likely going to be taken to, um, what we call an eviction court just to get that process started. doesn't mean we're going to evict them, but we're certainly going to let them know that, that we're not going to, we're not going to let them make an appointment with us to pay rent and then not keep it. And for me, nine times out of nine times out of 10, they don't ever tell me proactively ahead of time. They just disappear. And I never hear from them until I issue a three day. I don't know if that's like that for you, but it is, it is different for us. And only because, you know, we've, as a management company, we put a heavy, heavy emphasis on relationships with our tenants. So, yeah, we have um, 
Well, I think we did last year, we did a dozen evictions and we managed 1500 properties at the end of last year. We only had a dozen evictions the whole year. Wow. A lot of that goes to just a very, very open relationship. The other side of it too, guys, you're late. The day you're late, we're starting to let you know about it. And we are, we, you know, it's all right in our ability. We will let you know uh, every day that you're late until you make arrangements with us or get it paid. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Hey, um, and, and really quick, you know, uh, Pete Gardini, uh, who, who used to write for us a lot. Uh, he, he had a saying about training your tenants. And, and I think that's kind of what you're talking about, you know, beyond just the relationship and we're not talking about demeaning your tenants, but literally right. training your tenants to yep. know and understand what are your processes? How does it work? This is what happens upfront before, before the dotted line is signed, right? Yes. Yep. Yes. Before the dotted line is signed. It's, and it's a, I'll tell you, Josh, real quickly, it's respect. You show them respect and you, you expect them to respect you. Yep. So cool. Um, uh, switching gears a little bit here. Uh, what statistics should somebody look for when deciding a good city to invest in? Um, I personally like the economic side of it. I like, you know, jobs, companies moving into the city. What are the industries that provide most of the jobs for the city? Are they dying industries? Are they growing industries? Uh, um, for me personally, I just like, I like the economic side of it. Right on. All right. For the young guys listening, what should someone who say uh, 23 just out of college do to get started in real estate investing? I tell you what, man, I would find one of two things. I would either find somebody that has some really good experience uh, and go to work with them, uh, offer to, uh, you know, again, almost like a mentor mentee type relationship. I'm going to work for you, but let them know up front that I I may want to do this on my own fairly soon. Um, that would be my, my biggest thing. Get out there, let people know that you're willing to go to work with them, have them teach you the job, have them, you know, uh, pay you a little bit of money, but get a whole lot of knowledge in the, in the meantime. Right on. Uh, is it smart to purchase an investment property before your first primary residence? Sure. I mean, why not? Uh, you know, the, the, there's nothing wrong with, uh, well, I guess here's, there are two different things. One is an investment almost from a business standpoint. And the other one is an investment from a personal standpoint. So look, if, if you aren't ready to settle down, if you're good with condo living or, or uh, apartment living or renting, man, get out there and invest in those houses. It only helps you buy something better later on down the line. If that's what you're hoping to do. There you go. <laughs> what, uh, what color should you paint the exterior on a rental property? Exterior? Exterior. Yeah. That's the outside. <laughs> These questions all came from the forums. That's why this one was in there. I thought that was an interesting, that's, it's a very wide awesome. open question. Yeah. Uh, I also saw on the forum, somebody said that they hated tan, um, the color tan, but I will, uh, and there was a whole big discussion about it, but I'll tell you that um, any of those types of neutral style colors, uh, whether it be a tan or a light yellow or, um, you know, something that adds some contrast and allows you to put a nice, uh, do, do good stuff with the trim, the face of the soffit, um, come with a different color of the, uh, of your guttering. I mean, things that allow you to, to put some contrast between the curb and the house, I, I think works really well. So I wouldn't go with any crazy colors, but you know, those neutral tans, that kind of stuff, that tan family works really well. Um, earlier you said about in Memphis, you're, you know, a third to a half of the city you're investing or you're, you know, you're managing in, how do you decide what neighborhoods to focus on? Right now it's from experience. Um, so, but when we first got started, we were looking for a rental rate that was above the median rents for the city. So, 
you know, if, if the median rents in a city you're in is $600, I was looking for 650 and above. So I wanted to get the higher end because I knew that the demand of what I was looking for was from that style of, of a property. So that's what we did. We looked for areas and neighborhoods where the rent rates were above the median. Nice. Nice. All right. And, and for the last one, a person owns a house, they owe what it's worth and they, they want to move. Do they rent it or sell it? That is absolutely a question that's based on um, what you could rent it for. I will tell you that I regret not keeping every house I've ever owned. Uh, I, I look back and I wish I'd kept every house I'd ever bought and just rented it out, but I didn't. Um, and I've sold them all. And the reality is that I have never made money, a lot of money anyway, on any of my, you know, selling the properties. Um, so if you can rent it and either make money or it becomes a, an expense that's small enough that, that it just fits right into your uh, monthly budget, I mean, I would rent it and keep it. There that's, you go. That's just me. Right on. Cool. Right on. Well, and that brings us to the next segment, which is our famous four. Come like on, that? get in on that, Chris. Like that, Chris? Come on. Um, do it. Do it. <laughs> a three-person harmony probably wouldn't sound as good as y'all's two-person harmony. So, And we do sound no, pretty there, good. You know. there, is, there is nothing harmonic <laughs> about what we're doing. Nothing. I'm, Nothing. I'm just, I'm, I'm speechless at this point, which is hard to make me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris, famous, uh, famous, favorite real estate book. Favorite real estate book? Uh, wow, that's a good one. Um, I like Frank McKinney's, um, God, I can't think of the name of it right now. Uh, you know, it, it slips my mind. Make it big by Frank McKinney. Is that it? That is it. All right. Make it big. And uh, the 40, 40 secrets to success or whatever it is, it's 49 secrets to success. I, I just, I, I love it. Excellent. Excellent book. Cool. Cool. And uh, you can get it for a penny on Amazon actually. So <laughs> there you, go. you think so? All right. Uh, favorite non real estate business book. Rework. Oh, me too. Rework is, I think that's a, that's a great book. I love it. Hey, I just want to tell a quick story here. When I met Josh, you know, I went to his house, uh, I don't know what, a few months ago. I left Rework sitting on his desk and said, Josh, <laughs> you need to read this book. H- how are you liking that book so far, Josh? Hey, Brandon, <laughs> I've opened it once. Good, good. I, I turned a couple of pages. Actually, that's not true. I've probably opened it two or three times. I've moved it from my dresser, <laughs> to my couch to my dresser. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't had time, man. Nice. Well, now we're now we're both on you. Yeah, thanks. I, I wow. You called me out. It's, <laughs> it's fine. I'll get you back. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that's my question. Oh yeah, your question. Go. Do yeah. It. Do it. Yeah. Do it. Uh, Chris, hobbies. I know you've got a, a great, nice, great big family. Uh, what do you like to do outside of real estate? So uh, yeah, I've got four four little kids. So I do a lot of stuff with them. Um, I love coaching their little teams. I was, um, real big into soccer. So, uh, I coached, that was my original, original job. I thought that was going to be my profession was as a professional soccer coach. So, uh, I love playing soccer, love coaching. I do a lot of stuff with the kids still run. Um, you know, so, so that kind of stuff, it's, it's just getting outdoors and having, having lots of fun, but doing a lot of stuff with my family. All right. Uh, final question for the day. 
What do you think sets apart successful investors from those who never really gain traction? I'm going to tell you that for me, I think that's a very, very easy question to answer. And it is who you surround yourself with. Um, you know, if, if for a successful investor, the difference between them and someone who's not is almost always who they choose to surround and spend their time with, spend their energy with, spend their mind with. It's, it's going to be entirely who you surround yourself with. And I'll add one last little thing. And it's luck. You know, if you if you surround yourself with great people mixed with a little bit of luck, you're going to get there. Nice. Absolutely. And you create your own luck also by, by a lot of other things, but I, I agree with you completely. Well, it's one of those things of, uh, you're exactly right, Josh. And if you're, if you've got the right people around you and you're in the right position, when luck happens, man, I mean, you can take advantage of it. If, if you know, sometimes you miss it. That's so, my, one of my favorite quotes is that the harder I work, the luckier I get. I don't remember who said it, but I always like that. Yeah, no. And, and, and it's true, but so nice. to the question, yeah, the, the one thing it's, it's who you surround yourself with. That's great. That's great. Well, listen, Chris, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to, to be on the show. We definitely appreciate it. Lots of uh, great tidbits and, and uh, uh, we hope the listeners got a lot out of this thing. Well, and, and me too. I, I really enjoy it. You guys, both of y'all, you know that I believe in what you're doing. I love it. And I uh, wish y'all the, the absolute best of luck through the rest of this year and on into the future. Well, thank you, Chris. All right, everybody. That was our interview with Chris Clothier of Memphis Invest and Premier Property Management. It was, uh, it was a really good show, Brandon. It was. Um, definitely, I'd say actually one of my favorites because, you know, Chris is, you know, really rocking the business side of things. And I think that's, you know, we focus a lot on the real estate side, which is important. But when you're trying to build a scalable business and you're trying to get bigger, uh, you have to definitely keep an eye on the business side of things. So Yeah. Yeah. yeah cool. uh, there are a lot of, a lot of great tips and, and, uh, I thought it was fantastic, and you know, definitely one of our our higher level uh, shows, which which I you know we're we're certainly going to be doing more of as well. Yeah, cool, awesome, awesome. All right, guys. Well, you know, otherwise, listen. Thanks for checking out the show. Be sure to uh, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash biggerpockets, Twitter at twitter.com slash biggerpockets, G plus at some really long string of things. <laughs> Just look up Bigger Pockets and you'll find us. Uh, check us out on LinkedIn. Uh, we're, we're out there. We're sharing content, network, engage with us, not us being Brandon and I, but us being the rest of the community. There's a lot of uh, great people inter- interconnecting. Uh, and finally, of course, uh, if you haven't already, please join us on Bigger Pockets at biggerpockets.com. Set up a profile and jump in on our forums, engage on our blogs and, and connect. Uh, the more you do that, as, as, uh, as you'll learn, the better your opportunities for interacting and meeting new people, partners, things like that. So make it happen. Thanks again for listening. Show 26, Bigger Pockets Podcast, Josh Dorkin. I'm out of here. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Here to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. 
Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.